a previous video, I've talked about the importance of self-correction, right? That self-correction is really at the heart of self-management. Right? Only when self-correct do you no longer need you know, managers and bosses to step in and fix things. Um, now, this, this principle is so important um, that I think it's worthwhile that we actually spend some time looking at how that actually plays out. You know, how does it actually work? Um, and so I've prepared six examples for you um, of things that you know, can go wrong, uh, that uh, need some kind of action, and that in traditional organization would probably require uh, bosses to step in and would probably add some layer of, of bureaucracy or hierarchy. Um, and now the question is, how, you know, in self-management, how do we deal with that? How can systems and, and, and practices be created so that the system self-corrects, right? And if you want to, you can use this, um, this, this video as a sort of an exercise for yourself and say like, oh, okay, in that situation, how would I go about it? You know, how could I imagine building or designing something so that the system self-corrects, right? Um, uh, one more reminder, in the previous video, I talked about um, how one of the things is that you know, teams are directly exposed to the outcomes of their work, right? They get this immediate feedback, they immediately sense sort of a sense of pride or of pain that comes with their work. And, and for that to happen, there's generally uh, one a shared norm of what is good work. Um, there's some data that people get um, you know, qualitative or quantitative data to say like, hey, are we, you know, in the healthy zone? Um, and then some conversation to make things happen, right? So here we go, right? Um, here are the six examples um, that I will work with, right? Um, one is imagine that there's um, a team um, and that team's results are, are just starting to slip. You know, maybe some employees um, you know, don't get along with one another and they become demotivated and so then they show up late for work and um, or maybe they just lack skills but anyway just the results of one team go down. How could that team you know self-correct and not need a manager to step in? Um, let's imagine that there's several parallel teams and one team has too much work and other teams, you know, have, you know, have too little work. So some people, you know, have really cool life, and other teams like they're scrambling. How could that system self-correct? Or simply, let's imagine there is um, there are customers who are really unhappy with the quality and the timeliness of of the work that we're delivering. Right. Um, number four, um, we have this innovation project. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time already like investigating things and doing um, R&D. And then it suddenly appears that, you know, this problem, you know, this thing looks less and less promising. You know, how will the system deal with that? Um, or a very simple one, right? We have this recurring meeting that we go to every week and actually it just feels like a waste of time. You know, what happens? Um, and last one, um, you know, there's, a, there's some people that work in a support function, right? Um, let's say somewhere in HR or in 
quality control or an audit or an what have you. And frankly, it doesn't feel like they're adding any value. Right? How can the system self-correct? Okay. So again, if you want to do this sort of as a uh, as an exercise, you know, feel free to pause the video and to think through you know, these six examples and how could you put in place systems so that you know, the systems can very quickly self-correct without you know, any manager needing to step in. Okay, um, here's how you know, I've, I've come to think of it and these are just possible um, ways to do it. There are many more, right? So you know, this is not the only way to do it, not the only solution. There, there are many more, but you know, I think it's, it's so interesting to realize how many ways you could do this. One simple way is through data, right? Through uh, you know, a very public report, right? And that is you know, when, it, when, teams, so when a team is slipping, right? The results are down. Um, and a beautiful example for me is Bürtzorg. Right? You have all of these parallel teams, you know, hundreds of parallel teams, you know, these nurses. Um, and uh, one financial indicator that's really important for Bürtzorg is, you know, what is the, what they call productivity, which is basically um, how many hours out of the 40 hours that a, a nurse sort of typically works in a week are reimbursed um, by the by the healthcare system, right? And they have this very simple thing that a norm of sixty percent. So you know, if twenty four hours out of forty are reimbursed, um, that is considered to be healthy, right? Then the whole system works well. All of the you know the other hours, um, you know, is travel and is internal meetings and is training and all other all sorts of other things. Now. Yeah, it could very quickly, very often happen, right? That something isn't working in one team, right? The dynamics is bad amongst us, um, or you know, for some reason, you know, some of the nurses are have something in their private lives and they're demotivated, or maybe we um, have lost contact with the local doctors, and anyway, the results are bad. Um, the way Birchak is dealing is dealing with that is very simple. Right? They have um, every month a report um, of all of the teams sort of ranked by productivity, right? from the teams with the highest productivity. Maybe there are some teams that month you know, that are above 70%, maybe 80% um, you know, of the hours that are paid back. Um, and then it goes down to, and then you have teams at 60, and then you have teams below that norm that we know is healthy. Right? And maybe there's some teams in the 50s, maybe we are in our 40s. Uh oh, you know that's that's really pretty bad, and these reports are, are transparent and they're available everywhere, and so that they found is enough for sort of antibodies to kick in in our team. Like if in our team of ten to twelve nurses, um, you know we are in our forties, there will be at least one person in the team that will say, "Hey guys, come on, we need a meeting. We need to have a conversation about this. You know, you know I'm, you know, I'm really not proud of where we are." Um, so, remember, a shared norm of what's healthy, 60%, data, right, every month these reports, and then, you know, that leads to a conversation. And what they also have at Beardstruck is that they have a number of coaches that support teams, right, um, they're not managers, they cannot impose anything, 
But you know, the coaches will also look at these at these lists and see, hey, you know, one of my teams, you know, has a productivity of only forty instead of sixty percent. You know, let me call them and just like, hey guys, do you, do you have a problem? Is there something I can help you with? You know, and that's that's helpful too. So in this case, you know, they've solved it with just these reports and sort of with these roles, you know, of these um, of these coaches that will just give a call. Um, let me take the second example, right? Um, there, there are some teams who have too much work and other teams who have too little work, right? And, and how do we deal with that, right? In a traditional organization, um, that would be pretty inflexible most of the time, right? The team that has too much work would be complaining to their manager and then the manager would talk to their manager and say, hey, we need more resources and you know, that can probably take two months or three months and then you know, that needs to be approved and then HR comes in, but then, oh yeah, but there's other teams, maybe we will take some people from that team and allocate it to that team. I and mean, this is just very you know, difficult and often long conversations. Um, so how could you have this happen on a self-managing basis? Well, if I take um, an organization like Favi, um, you know, that have all of these, uh, you know, mini factories, right? The little mini factory that works for Volkswagen, and mini factory that works for Peugeot, and mini factory that works for um, Audi or what have you. Um, well, they, every morning, you know, one person from each of those teams will, you know, quickly get together. Um, for a stand-up meeting and they will simply exchange like you know how is your situation how's my situation well you know I we're swamped you know we need two more people for today and tomorrow right and um, and then the other team says oh yeah I think you know we I can spare you some yeah I can spare somebody goes back to the team and says hey if somebody from our team want to join they really badly need you know two people does that somebody want to go there and then you know a volunteer just joins that's it right uh, you know a five-minute meeting um, and that's how the system operates. Um, they do it on a daily basis, you know, just depending on how quickly things fluctuate. I know of a, of a hospital where in between these nursing units, you know, they have a meeting every three months or every six months, um, you know, just see if activity in one team has gone up and others gone down and then they, they do the same thing, right? So in this case, the problem is really solved through a meeting, right? The focus is on the conversation. Right? Um, and that's that's all you need. Um, now let's take a, a third one, right? The, um, a customer, you know, customers are really unhappy with the quality or the, the timeliness of our work, right? Of, of the product or services that we deliver. Right? Um, again, in most traditional organizations, right? Um, it's at some point, uh, you know, the, the, the sales manager, account manager that is contacted and then um, that person then has to talk to the whatever head of operations and then the head of operations will look into it. And I mean, all of that takes a very, very, very long time. The system isn't self-correcting. Um, well, in this case, sometimes this requires um, a, an actual change of structure, right? That's one way to solve that is that everybody who's involved in working with a client is sort of in one single team, directly exposed to that client, right? 
Um, I'm thinking here of, um, uh, of the example of Favi. And let me quickly tell you that story, if you don't remember it, right? So Favi is this small industrial organization, I think they're now 600 people, um, in the north of France. And they work mostly in the automotive industry. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of a, uh, you know, a brass shop um, and they do, among others, sort of elements that go into sort of the, 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 uh, the shift box um, in cars. And when they were still operating in a traditional way before 1983, this is what's their structure, which is a very typical functional structure, right? You would have um, the client making an order that would go to a salesperson. You know, the salesperson would put it into the system or give that to sort of a you know, sales admin person that would put it into the system. And then that would be in the system. And once it's in the system, um, you know, two weeks before... Uh, the manufacturing you know time it would go you know into a master planning so there was a master planning unit that was looking at all of these things and sort of you know making a plan of how that would all be produced in the factory and then a day before um, the actual work you know there would be a unit doing the detailed planning of things and really allocate things to machines and that would go to hr and then hr would look at this detailed planning and then allocate workers to different machines saying hey you work there for two hours make so many pieces and then you work there for three hours and make so many pieces and and then finally you know workers would actually deliver the pieces and then it would be um, you know expedited and sent to the client the problem with this long, long thing is that it's become a black box, right? So if an order is late and the client is complaining, the salesperson are absolutely unable to explain what happened. You know, they just put in a system, then they got into this master planning and detail planning and HR and, right? Um, and the workers, I mean, they just get a sheet of paper that says like 2,000 pieces on that machine. Um, they have... To, basically no idea who that client is, what the order date was, if it's early or late, right? So in that case, all of these people don't directly feel the pain or the pride of the work they do. They all work in sort of a black box, right? It takes a client sort of complaining um, or, you know, maybe somebody looking overall at, you know, what is the percentage orders late? They, they see the pain, but all of the people who are involved in the actual work don't feel the pain. And so what it took at Favi was to actually fundamentally change the structure of the organization. And so now they operate, as I said, in these little mini factories, right? The Volkswagen factory and the Peugeot factory. And, and in these factories, you have everybody that's involved, right? So you have the people that do the manufacturing, but the salesperson is in that very team, right? And so... Um, that industry has sort of a weekly order cycle. So every week, the salesperson really sits literally with that team. Um, the salesperson, you know, comes and calls a quick meeting and says, I, I've got the order and, you know, they ordered so many pieces. And immediately everybody is like, yay, that's a great order. Or like, Ooh, oh, why did they order so, so little, right? And then, so they feel like immediately they're happy, you know, or, or sad with the order that comes in. And then, they on the spot decide, you know, what's the delivery date that we can promise, right? So they all jointly make that promise. Um, and so now they really want to make sure that they uphold that promise. And so that's why Favi, you know, now in more than 30 years hasn't delivered a single order that was late, right? They've, they've 
gotten to embody the pride that we will never ship late. Right? Um, so that's their shared norm is we never ship late. And then the data is that they, they sense every day, you know, where they're, where they're doing. And if something threatens to be late, they immediately have a conversation, right? And there's this beautiful story that I relate in the book that, you know, one team, you know, um, happened to be late because of some problem. And the team dis itself decided to charter, you know, a helicopter to bring the pieces, right? So that they would be on time because that was just their pride, right? And the client called back and said, we didn't even need that to be so fast. Why are you sending a helicopter? They said like, we don't do this for you. We do this for our own pride, right? And so you see that a lot in self-managing organizations is that teams get reconfigured to have like these little multifunctional teams where everybody who is involved with a client is immediately in that one team and they're directly exposed to, to the client. Let's take um, number four, right? Um, there's an innovation project. You know, you've, um, you know, trying to innovate a new product, a new service, and you've already put a lot of time into it. And then it looks less and less and less promising. Now, in traditional organizations, it takes a lot of time for this um, to be acted upon, right? Most of the teams, you know, they, I don't know, they will have every three months, you know, they will have a big meeting at the steering committee um, where they have to show indicators like, you know, we're on green or orange and red on this team. And there's a big incentive for most people to claim that it's green as long as possible, right? Maybe you've experienced this. Um, everybody in the team kind of feels that this is going nowhere, but you don't really want to show this to managers. And so you, you pretend like things are going well till at some point it becomes apparent. And maybe six months or a year too late, you know, we, you intervene and you stop that project or maybe you, you twist it and change it, right? Um, now, what we want is the system to self-correct as soon as you notice that something is wrong, not six months or a year later, right? Um, so how do you do that? Well, one very simple way to do that um, is simply a shared norm that, you know, if people don't like the project that they're working on, they can walk away. Right? That's a practice um, used at, at Valve. Valve is, um, you know, one of the world's largest um, computer games. Um, developer, right? And so, you know, these computer games are really massive things, right? I mean, they, their budgets are the same as Hollywood blockbusters, right? These huge development projects. And their practice sounds crazy, but their practice is, you know, if you no longer like the project you're working, just take your chair, you know, and roll it away and go somewhere else and work somewhere else. Because what they find is that's the best way they quickly detect a signal like, you know, as soon as people feel like, hey, this project isn't really promising, it's going nowhere, everybody's out, right? And everybody's immediately reallocated. You know, that's the fastest self-correction that you can make. So it's a very clear norm. Don't like it, move away, right? And then one of two things happens, right? Um, you know, people just see that everybody's leaving and nobody wants to rescue this, right? Well, then that's great. Let's not rescue it. You know, that project is doomed. Um, but maybe some people say, no, 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 this project is absolutely critical. We have to save it. And then the conversation starts. Okay, so what do we need to do um, to save it? And then you have, that, you have that meeting, you make some changes, and, you know, people decide, oh, if that's how it's working, then I'm coming back. Right? Um, another organization that I researched that I wrote about in the book, Sun Hydraulics, you know, works on the same 
principal, like all of the engineering people, like, they just work on projects that they care about. Um, there's no prioritization. There's no, um, you know, green, orange, red. You know, it's um, and if you don't like it, walk away. Um, and then we'll see if the if somebody yells and changes the system. It's the same thing for the recurring meeting that has somehow you know, come to feel like a waste of time. Well, you could very simply just have the same rule, which is you know, anybody who feels like a meeting is useless just walks away. Literally, you stand up, you don't have to apologize, don't say anything, you just walk away. Right? Let's establish as a shared norm. Right? It's the best signal that things immediately self-correct. Right? Um, and either, you know, simply we stop having that meeting, or if there was still something that was important in the meeting, but we didn't bring it out well, then somebody will say, okay, guys, obviously this meeting was working, but this is still important. So, you know, this is the new meeting we should be having. And then, you know, people come back and it feels useful again. Right. Let's take um, the last example, right? There's some support functions, so people in support roles. Um, and they really don't seem to be adding any value, right? Um, well, you can simply have the norm that roles only exist as long as they're useful. And if they're no longer useful, the roles automatically disappear, right? Um, I remember this from, from Favi. Um, you might remember the story. There's this, this, this young person that... Um, said, hey, you know, he was a machine operator, but he just had real curiosity and interest in him. And he said, really, what I want to do is I want to, you know, scout new technologies and new supplies out in the world. Like, I want to fly out and see what's happening in India and in China and see what new technologies are out there and what we could be using. And he suggested that. And people simply said, okay, let's do it for a while. You know, this role is temporary. And if it adds value, then you keep that role. If not, that role disappears, right? Um, and so what he did was that, you know, he would come back once a month and on Friday morning make a meeting where he invited everybody, where he would, would be presenting the newest finds, you know, the, the newest technologies and suppliers that, that he'd come across. And the idea was if people show up on that meeting on Friday, you know, if it's, it's, if it's valuable, then great, then, you know, you, that role continues existing. And, you know, if nobody shows up, then obviously that role doesn't add any value and you go back to being a machine operator, right? And that's a general principle you could have for all support functions, right? Um, is that support functions are basically on tap for people in the organization. And if nobody calls on you, if nobody you know, needs your work and your services, then your role disappears and you need to find some other you know, meaningful task to do. Um, and in that way, the system automatically self-corrects. Nobody shows up on Friday, boom, you know, it's done. The role, the role disappears. Um, so I hope you found some of these examples useful. Um, for each of these cases, there's other ways you could do this. You know, this is just to stimulate your thinking. Um, uh, and it just shows you what a wide you know, range of things can help systems self-correct, right? It, it can be data and reports, like in the case of Beardsorg, right? It can be through, you know, meetings, like, you know, these people in different teams um, meeting for five minutes, or it can be through changing your structure. Um, it can be through a shared norm that, you know, you're, you can just walk away from anything, or this norm that roles are temporary, right? 
Um, and there might be other things, but it's so it's a fundamental question: is can you structure and design um, you know systems so that they're able to pick up on signals and immediately act upon them? I hope this is helpful and. Uh, now I suggest you start thinking about this in your own organization. You know, what, what, where are some of the things where the system currently isn't self-correcting, where you still need somebody else to step in? And how could the system start self-correcting? Perhaps you've noticed there is no paywall, no monthly membership to access this video series. That's because the videos live in the gift economy. This is how it works. I gift everything that goes into making the videos, my time, energy, and insights, and you get to choose what feels right to gift back. Please take a moment to reflect on what would feel good to give in return to help me continue doing this work. Thank you.